Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, that means repeat, I think, that Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're also very good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? Affirmative. Affirmative indeed. You can find Ben's work all over the internet. Ben, come on, give them uh, give them a couple of websites to visit or publications to pick up that have your name um, in them or on them. Sure, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, and at Driving Line. It's all about publications, isn't it? No, that's that's what life is about: publications. I have no, no witty response to this line of inquiry. Oh, dear. Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get to the wit in a moment after I tell people where they can find my work, which is uh, lately at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and I'm in the September issue of Car and Driver, which I guess is a, it's a little ways away, but you, you keep an eye open for me. <laughs> September is two months from now. Yeah, I know. It's still but exciting. I- it is very exciting. Of course it is. Ben, we've got some cool cars to talk about this week, which is, uh, which is I mean, that's what we do on this podcast. We talk so we about cool cars. Do. Interesting cars, cool cars, weird cars, just stories that we have. Um, and I can't wait to tell you about this week's car because I drove the 2024 Ford Mustang. And you'll notice after Mustang, there was no other thing. It wasn't the Mach-E. I'm talking the OG Mustang. And the Mustang GT. I guess we'll throw in another uh, a suffix there. So this is, if memory serves, like a mid-cycle refresh for the car, right? How dare you? This is considered to to be the seventh gen, I think, Mustang? Really? I believe so. I'm going to okay. double check the numbers. But to me, it's a, it's a new generation. Yeah, seventh gen. All right, what, that. what makes it a new generation? Um, I assume, yeah. The reason I ask is because... When they remember in the 90s when they went from the Fox body to the SN95? Yes. But they carried over a lot of stuff. Right? Yeah. Like it, wasn't, it wasn't exactly a clean sheet. So I'm I curious wrote about, about that this in car. my piece that it reminded me a lot of that, um, that transition. I think that's the fourth gen Mustang. Um, yeah. Is that SN? That's, that wasn't considered SN95 until the new, the, the, what is it called? New Edge, right? In 99? No, it was SN95 and 94. That's what it 94. Came. Okay, sorry. Yes, SN95. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I think that the the refresh feels and sounds somewhat mild. I mean, the upgrade feels and sounds somewhat mild. But overall, I think you're looking at um, an, an important enhancement to uh, the performance, um, the offerings of the product. And there's also um, a, a totally redesigned interior. Um, and I think that's probably what, what adds up to be a whole new generation product. It's probably the backbone, the electrical backbone probably as well as an important aspect of this vehicle. Not to say that it's an EV, but I think all of the things that it's capable of doing, which we'll get to when we talk about the interior of the car, um, will will set it apart from the sixth generation vehicle, which now just looks, in terms of the cabin, looks more dated. But in every other element, I think performance-wise – and exterior design, the the seventh gen and the sixth gen are are very similar. And um, I think if you bought a sixth gen model, you probably aren't missing much. And in fact, you might actually be enjoying yourself a little bit more because the entry level model of the Mustang, the EcoBoost, 
for 2024 onwards, no longer has a manual transmission. It is automatic only. And there hasn't been a particularly um, impressive jump in performance. It makes 315 horsepower now, as opposed to, I think, 310 in the last generation product. And if you'll remember, there was also a specific tune, a high performance High output, um, I think it was. Or yeah, that you could get for the EcoBoost that put it up to 330. And I'm kind of disappointed that that isn't the stock output for this um, new motor. Now, it, they say it's a it's a fully redesigned 2.3 liter EcoBoost. Um, the big upgrade here is that it's got twin scroll, a new twin scroll turbocharger and electronic wastegate, and it has both um, direct and port fuel injection. But like I said, the, the big difference isn't significant, um, and I think that's that's kind of disappointing. But um, the bigger disappointment to me is the lack of manual transmission. It kind of feels like from the outside, they're, it, whereas before they kind of tried to position the EcoBoost as you know a performance option, as well as a... Budget a, option? Yeah, budget yeah. commuter kind of car. Well, it, it kind of feels like with the new EcoBoost, they're just like, here's a base model. You know, like they're yes. not going to... It's. I don't know how many people were buying high-performance EcoBoosts. I don't know how many people bought the high-output motor, how many people put the performance pack on or whatever, or even how many people were buying the manual gearbox to begin with. Like, it's possible that that customer is gravitating towards the GT already. I don't know. I do think that the, you know, the more I think about how how decent that turbocharged four-cylinder is, the more I don't mind it. The only problem, I think, is that each year the car gets a little bit heavier and heavier, and that EcoBoost just doesn't, I mean, in, in a vacuum, you know, a 2.3 liter making uh, over 310 horsepower um, and 350 pound-feet of torque, it's actually a pretty good, those are, that, those are great numbers. They are, but the engine itself... I mean, at least in the previous generation, which is all I've driven, was never fun to drive. It was there was nothing about the motor that kind of egged you on to rev it out, or it doesn't even really make all that much power if you rev it out. It's not that kind of engine, right? It's just it's a serviceable motor, and it's something that you find across most of the Ford lineup, right? It's it's yeah. pretty ubiquitous, or at least versions of it. There's nothing about it that really felt like it connected with an enthusiast. So I can understand, like even with the manual gearbox, I can understand why they would get rid of that. Well, I mean, they they obviously heard this uh, complaint that y- you've had from other people, um, and the first thing they did for, with us is they threw us in a in, in Irwindale Speedway, I believe, um, and put set out a, a little autocross course with the um, new automatic and new engine EcoBoost, and then they put us in a in a little skid pad situation as well because there's another feature there. Now, I do want to point out that all of the 2024 Mustangs that I drove were equipped with the performance package as well as the performance exhaust which um just adds a little ante there a little bit i think we were discussing um that the old ecoboost didn't sound like much this obviously has a little bit more of a clearer voice but is not it a, is it a voice that you'd want to hear clearly um no i think this is i think this is the most difficult thing to discuss is that i personally found the v, the old v6 to be quite um good sounding it sounded like a naturally aspirated v6 v6 has sounded, been gone for a long time i know and i used to find that to be really um vocal it sounded pretty smooth all the way through and the EcoBoost, i think just sounded like a turbo um like a like a turbo like it really found, sounded kind of ubiquitous 
Um, it sounds like but, a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, Let's I be think honest. we're getting a little bit better than that. It definitely has a little bit more bass to the soundtrack um, and is louder. But uh, I think if you're, you know, you might want to to hear it yourself to know if that's the tone you're looking for. I love how the solution to like a motor that didn't sound that great is make is to it make louder. it bassier <laughs> and louder. They gave it more like sort of volume. Give us more of what we aren't. We really um, weren't all that into. But you know, the, the the number one thing I noticed was that the steering is significantly sharper than I recall it being, which is to say that it responds almost um, like immediately off the off center line. Um, I was very happy with that, but the big disappointment, of course, is that um, there's not a lot of feedback from the uh, from the front end, and you also miss a little bit of feedback from the rear end, which is uh, which are two things that I would really want in a performance car, especially as you're going around some cones on a, on an autocross course. These performance pack cars, what kind of tires are on them? Um, they have different uh, different. They're different depending on the on the model that you get. The ones that are obviously the ones with um, like the GTs have a different performance pack to the EcoBoost. Yeah, but so, like, a, but does the EcoBoost for the does the performance pack for the EcoBoost come with tires as well? Or yeah, two fifty five um, um, with tires. Are yeah. they summer tires? Are they all season? Yeah, summer tires. Yeah, because okay. that could have a lot to do with how the turn in feels. So I was very happy with the the, the turn in um, power throttle is is excellent. Big disappointment I have is the ten speed auto can get a little. Um, look, I think it's just logistics. I think the vehicle doesn't. It's not like a dual clutch where it has a, another gear just ready to go. Um, it has to. It really has to calculate which which gear will be ideal for the situation. When you put your foot down, there's a noticeable pause sometimes um, if you're mid rev range, for example, and that's it calculating or deciding which sort of um, uh, gear to select. So obviously, I found the the number one thing to do is to is to put in the manual mode, which is very easy, and uh, I found the, the the paddle shifters to work really well. But like I said, it doesn't really replace the feeling of a manual transmission um, model here. No, of course not. And and I mean, I think yet another example of Ford backing away from the EcoBoost as a legitimate performance car, especially considering that as of next year, they'll have no competition in this segment. I mean, yeah, Challenger so gone. gone. Camaro Challenger, gone. I don't know if you'd consider a Challenger to be an EcoBoost Mustang competitor, but yeah, I think the V six. Yeah, I think so. It was. I think it was a whole. It was in a different class. I think it's a. It's a better. It's a. It's a more must. Like I don't know. But it's it, still it, a base base option two door coupe made yes. in Detroit, and there That's are th- there are three of those. So now there's one. Yeah. So um, Ford really doesn't have to try harder with this car, is I guess the point I'm making. That's true. Um, some of the other things that they they pulled off, though, um, are, involve the electronics here. Um, now that it's, uh, that it's automatic only, there's probably no real reason for an, uh, a, a traditional handbrake, yet um, you can get one. And there's an additional feature when you get mo- models with the performance package, and this is known as the drift brake. Now, you and I have both, heard of and been in cars that have a drift mode um where they're usually all-wheel drive vehicles and they just root power to the to the rear wheels and and help sustain a really cool drift right this isn't that what this is to me in many ways is a handbrake designed for drifting when that was always what you could do with handbrakes anyways yeah, but to my understanding is depending on how much and how far and how quick you engage this uh, this handbrake. So it's hydraulic um, instead of mechanical? 
Yeah, I suppose that would be the best way to describe it. It's like an electronic parking brake. You know when you press a button on a car and it just engages the, the parking brake? This is a lever that doesn't stay up. It snaps back down, um, which I found very, uh, like, that was weird to get used to, I suppose. Also, how are you supposed to know if the parking brake's engaged? There's the a little lever, icon. Yeah. How yeah, are if, you supposed to know? If yeah. the lever is down, it feels like I agree. I would automatically assume it's not engaged. Like, and the, not only that, but once it's once you enable it, you pull it up and it goes back down. You see the little parking brake icon on the dash. To disable it is not to pull that thing up again. You have to nudge it downwards like a notch. What? And then it turns it off. Yeah. That's weird. It's very weird. It was a very strange uh, ergonomic or user, user experience um, thing that I didn't quite understand. And same with this drift brake. This was apparently designed with some input from Von Gittin Jr. of the RTR, uh, I think, drift team, Mustang drift team. And uh, yeah, it can help you do a drift. Neat, right? But I guess I, mean, I, I think I told you when I, when I was going through this, I sent you a message being like, I can drift the FRS without a drift brake, hell, without even the handbrake if I wanted to. And that's a car with, you know, a hundred less horsepower. Of course, it's significantly lighter, but it's a different balance to the to the chassis, obviously, that makes it easier to 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 drift. There's right? also the fact that there's absolutely no scenario on the street. <laughs> yes. Where an amateur should be drifting. Yeah. I find it odd that you would put this kind of, that these features in cars are becoming more and more commonplace. Like, it's just like, why not just put a button on the dash that says hooligan or like arrest me or property damage? I have, like, once, <laughs> once we talk to, once we talk about the GT model, I think we'll get into that. Um, now, obviously, the, the thing about the Mustang is that it's always available as both a coupe and a convertible. I drove the convertible, really solid feeling car, not a lot of cowl shake. I'm really happy with just how rigid and responsive this model was and again i would i would give it the same feedback that i gave the other one steering feel was excellent i mean steering response was excellent but feel was not quite there um and taking it around some windy roads was enjoyable just with the fact that the car could keep up could do what it needed to do um my my experience is i just have to give that that asterisk my experience was solely with a performance package model now the reality is if you want um, the real Mustang, I guess, experience, you're looking at a GT. And the GT has the 5-liter V8. It still has a 5-liter V8. And it's been bumped up in terms of horsepower to a significant degree. You can get a – in standard form, it makes 480 horsepower, which is an upgrade of 30 horsepower. Um, and then there's an active um, exhaust system, which increases that to 486 and 418 pound of t- uh, pound-feet of torque. It is a great – Sounding, feeling, just everything about this motor is peachy, man. I'm, I'm all about, I'm all about this thing. Um, it's loud when it needs to be. It's smooth. It delivers an incredible amount of performance. I only drove manual transmission models, and I'll tell you right now, the manual is significantly improved as well. I don't know if maybe I'm the only one who complained about it, um, but I found the manual take up in the old GT to be a little um, cumbersome, clunky sometimes. Um, and it was sometimes really difficult to get smooth engagement off the line. Now it just feels, it really feels so smooth um, and natural. And I'm, I'm really happy with that. Um, again, I told you we have, uh, the, the, I drove the manual model with the performance pack. You can get an automatic, 10-speed automatic as well. Let's talk about hooligan mode that you just described. There is something called remote rev on yeah, this I- 
I remember on the automatic model. We talked about that um, when they first announced the car. I remember that was kind of something that Ford made a big deal about. You want to hear about this, don't you? I have heard about it. That's you want to hear how it works? I mean, it's like a remote starter that will rev the car at cold cold throttle, right? Like that's the whole idea. You have to. Uh, you have to. Um, you have to turn on the. It's called remote rev. Let me tell you. You turn on the uh, the lock button, uh, followed by the start button twice. Um, then you hit the unlock button, and the car will issue a low, like a like a really low rev. And then when you do it again, it it has a higher rev. It goes vroom, and then you do it again, vroom, vroom, and you're like, okay, I got you. It's cheesy. It's, it's super in, cheesy. It's indefensible as a yeah. feature. Like, I mean, you know, revving your cold engine, not a great <laughs> idea in the first place. But the only reason to have this feature is to irritate people. Because if you're not near it, you're not enjoying it. It's only for others, right? Right. Like, I don't get that part of it. Well, I mean, to me, I guess if you really wanted to, it could be like a uh, like an alternative to the panic alarm when you're trying to find your car in a parking lot, um, or the double hit the lock to make the sound the horn or whatever. Yeah, you better hope that like if you're in that parking lot and you're in an emergency and you do this, that the gearhead nearby is also, uh, I guess, a martial arts expert in addition to being someone who's attracted to the sound of a V8 engine. Like, it's like it's not quite the same thing. And the other thing to think about with this feature is how long before it's hijacked and reprogrammed so that it's the remote red line feature. And like, yeah, of course. people are just like, you're just going to be hammering that pedal down. And, and further to that point, is Ford going to honor a warranty claim from For someone who redlined their yeah. car and blew a cold motor when they weren't even inside of it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, it's all, it's all about these gimmicky things that Ford has been adding to the Mustang over time. We've talked about track apps, I think, in the past. You know, Line Lock. Um, what's the other one called? Uh, re- uh, sorry, Launch Control. You can enable sort of a, a limit, a rev limiter for launch control. Still no ejection seat. No ejection seat yet. Uh, but I imagine because the GT also gets um, the drift, the drift break whatever it's called drift button that you'll eventually get a, 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 a an ejection right out of the car if you if you do the wrong thing at the wrong time um i really enjoyed the gt i think it was uh, it reminded me of what a mustang should be in more ways than one it is responsive it's great it sounds good it looks pretty good um great manual transmission tons of performance um the thing is these cars are getting more and more expensive yeah um and they're getting more and more high tech and i think in the wrong way right like these features are are such gimmicks and i'm not into that it's weird because like i said there's no one to compete against anymore so why have the gimmicks and the other thing when you're talking about price this is kind of feeding into the point i was making earlier when i was discussing the idea that ford's kind of walked away from making the entry-level mustang all that interesting because not only do they have the gt but they have this new dark horse model and there's apparently going to be six race oriented mustangs that are on top of the dark horse yeah like there's gt3 gt4 i think it's probably going to be a stock car there's a dark horse s and a dark horse r which are trackable models i didn't hear Um, about those ones yet yeah so they, they put a press release out back last fall talking about it and this shows that i mean if you look at ford and the the field of competition has been cleared of the Camaro and the Challenger. There's really only one other car you're competing against. And who it's is it? The Corvette. The Corvette, of course. So yes. I instead guess of create- that, that's not always been, that's not a traditional Ford Mustang 
com- competitors. But for the last six years or so, it has been with the GT 500s and the GT 550s. So at that point, you no longer need to be doing anything at the entry level. You need to be building vehicles that will go up against the base vet, vehicles that will go up against the Z06, vehicles that will go up against this, uh, whatever models you're going like if you're going to do a Grand Sport again. So that's, I think, where Ford's marketing is focused at this point. Okay. Um, the other thing that I want to discuss is um, the cabin. To me, the biggest impact that the new model has is, is its new cabin. Um, really, for one, like it's gotten rid of – sorry. For one, the most important thing that they've done is they've combined the gauge cluster and the infotainment screen into one sort of like panel – um, they're very large screens. I think one, the, the gauge cluster, I think measures in at 13 inches while the other one is 12 inches. They are really well animated and super responsive. They've got, um, you know, sort of smartphone or tablet like gesture controls. So you can pinch to zoom or tap and hold to move things around. Um, lots of customization options with, uh, with this, you can change the, the colors of the, of the themes. And uh, whenever you change drive modes as well, you're treated to a really actually impressive animation um, that was really charming to me. I really enjoyed that. And additionally, the gauge cluster can be configured to a bunch of different um, settings. So, for example, you've got like a, a, like a minimalist one, a normal one, a track-oriented one. And there's also um, a Fox Body-themed one, which I think is cool. It just looks like the Fox Body gauges. And to me, when talking to the... Uh, the the digital product manager of the of the new Mustang. I asked them, you know, is there going to be sort of downloadable content like a video game where, you know, if I want a first gen themed um, gauge cluster, can I get that? If I want, you know, a super futuristic one, will I be able to get that? And he says that the infrastructure is in place for that to come, but they just don't know how they're going to implement it yet. So I can imagine that you'll be able to, there, there might be like a sort of like Mustang shop or, or digital storefront or something like that, where you can add these features over I mean, the air. My counterpoint would be, we've often heard car companies talk about, oh, we're going to be expanding X thing when it comes to the digital dashboard, right? Yeah. We're going to you know, be able to do shop from your car or order this from your car, order that. And it almost never happens. I feel like- It almost has never happened. I am disappointed those at Those apps how... just don't appear very often. Yes. Like you and, get and, them when they're in the car, the ones that are in the car, they work. Yeah. But but it's like the idea of this market that's going to be built around a specific shopping experience for a specific model of car in a showroom just never seems to materialize. I agree with you. But I do hope that this one comes. I really hope that the themes aren't some stupid price point or they should be free or maybe they should be like, I don't know, a reward or something like that. I don't know. Uh, the biggest, longest drift without crashing into a curb are people. How about <laughs> yeah, that? yeah, we're going to start asking for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like, remember all those... Ar- unlocked. There's so many arcade games that are like that, right? Like, yeah. like the longest drift you can hold. And and I mean, it seems like transposing that behavior outside of the arcade. And I, I mean, I'm still talking about arcades because there are still a few in Montreal where yeah, you can go and play course. these games. But I mean, it just seems like a... I mean, the Mustang already has a reputation at, yes. at a car meet. You know, well, and maybe that's the case. If you're part that. of a Mustang club, it'll use the the geofencing to be like, oh, he joined the club. Give him the give him this year's new theme or something. I don't know. Yeah, he joined the club. Give him. I'm not even going to go there. I mean, it's just gonna be like, <laughs> like put the hazards on right away as soon as he's within range of uh, of any car meet, just so that pedestrians yeah. have a chance to escape with their lives. Um, in addition to the the sort of tech feel here. 
Um, there are some concerns that I had when I saw this. For example, HVAC controls are done on the touchscreen, but uh, even when you have Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, they stay present on the screen. I think we were talking about a car recently that didn't have that, which was really frustrating. Um, this stays on the bottom of the screen, kind of like a you know like a Windows sort of like taskbar. It's always there, uh, and you can access all of those features even while. Android Auto or Apple CarPlay are still functional. I I've think always that's... wanted my car to have a taskbar. I've always you know what wanted... I mean. Sorry. No, no, but what I, I do know what you mean. I'm not making fun of your word choice. I'm just like the concept itself. I want my car to feel as much like work as possible. I want my car <laughs> to feel like I'm sitting at my desktop waiting for an email. Yeah, <laughs> I want it to replicate. Isn't that the best feeling in the world? Waiting for an email. That's 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 living. So yes. when I'm behind the wheel, multiply that by five. <laughs> Minimum. <laughs> Minimum. Um, and it has all those features that you want. It offers heated seats, vented seats, heated steering wheel, um, a B&O sound system, which I think is an awful way to describe a, a sound system or anything in a car. B, oh, don't, they, they don't mix. I've got, a, I've already got an acronym that stands for B-O. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a sound system, Bang & Olufsen system. Um, but the, my main issue with these vehicles is just how pricey they are. The ones we drove as equipped um, the EcoBoost, for example, starts at, let's say, ooh, I had this for a moment. Why aren't I getting it properly? Oh, no. You've gone full William Shatner here. Of course I have. I'll start with, the, I have, the, I have the, the pricing for the GT instead. I'll get my EcoBoost pricing in a moment. Um, altogether, with everything included, the vehicle was priced at... Forty-seven thousand um, with with the sorry, that's the starting price. Forty-seven thousand for the premium trim, um, and then you add the almost eight thousand dollar performance package. Whoa! And what am I enthusiast. getting for eight thousand dollars? So you're getting the performance pack, which adds the bigger bigger brake, uh, bigger brakes, bigger tires, um, Magna Ride suspension, and um, all those weird track apps. That's it. And then you also get the performance exhaust. Man, that feels like a lot of money. I added those together. So the total is well over $55,000, including destination. Remember for that when specific... you could get a Boxster for $55,000? Yeah. Do you remember when I think a, a Mustang GT used to be in the 30-something range? Yeah, but you could also used to be able to get I think a C7 Corvette or like when the C8 first <laughs> came out. Wasn't it like 58000 I think it was sixty. yeah. So, I mean, I think that's... Um, that's my my biggest concern is that the cars are getting significantly more expensive. Um, I'll get the base pricing for you because they might be a little bit more uh, appreciable because Ford says you can get a Mustang for thirty thousand um, dollars, and that is the EcoBoost Fastback with like nothing in it. And that's a the fifteen thousand dollar jump between that and a base GT. Yeah, twelve hundred actually. Yeah, twelve thousand. Twelve thousand. Yes. Sorry, I was thinking um, the premium model is forty-seven. So you've got you've got some leaps to make for sure. And premium is the base GT. No, you can get a you can get a, a GT fastback for forty-two thousand. Okay. Sorry, you didn't you didn't mention that. Sorry. Um, and then the dark horse, the dark horse for whatever reason they don't want to tell you how much it costs, but I'm going to tell you right now. Why won't they tell you? If they're not going to tell you, how are you going to tell us? Wait, are you reading? Some, are you scanning someone's mind right now? Yes, the you promise the you wouldn't horse, do that. The dark horse starts at sixty thousand dollars. So why would you ever buy a performance pack yeah. if you could get a dark horse for like a couple thousand more? My understanding is the dark horse is the track-oriented model. Yeah, not 
And as far as I can tell, everything you get in the Dark Horse, Dark Horse is already in, like, what is a Dark Horse handling package? Why wouldn't it handle out of the box? And the, and it has a different motor, too. Like, it, the internals on that 5 liter, it doesn't have a lot more power. It's like 14 more horsepower or something. Yeah. But the internals are different. So um, it's an, it has uh, it also has different cooling. It has but a lighter weight problem. radiator. They, they like catch you this way, right? Like they they put that GT and they introduce this new model at this price point where it's like, well, if you're gonna spend that much, you might as well spend a little bit more. And you're like, no, I thought the Mustang used to be kind of kind of accessible. Yeah, but like we said, there's no need for it to be accessible anymore. It's not fair. I want accessibility. I want this car to be more affordable. Um, and so we, more you can, get, you can get carbon fiber wheels on the dark horse affordability yeah. <laughs> and accessibility are off the menu <laughs> I agree um, so I mean I want to say I, I really did enjoy this product I don't think it's a major leap from the last generation product unless you really dislike the interior of and I especially did not like the last generation Mustangs interior in specific um, but I do think that this car still carries most of the staples of the Mustang brand um, and I think people will be enjoy, will enjoy driving it. It just isn't a major leap over the last generation. Is part. it a car that you want in any way? Kind of. There are some times when you're driving that GT where you just can't help yourself but like laugh and giggle. It's a great it's a great manual. It's a great motor, um, and it's a pretty cool experience all the all the way through. Of course, you know it comes with the the budget that that you have to accommodate for it. And for me, that's a steep budget. I'm you know me, man. I'm a little cheap. So until I get exactly what I want, I'm a little cheap. So this isn't quite there. I mean, you've been saving up for carbon fiber wheels. I have been. Since you were 17 years old. Yeah. Before they were even, you know, off the drawing board, basically. Uh, yeah. So I, I have a car I want to talk about not very long, just a bit briefly, because it's a vehicle we've sort of talked about on the on the show in the past. And that's the oh, okay. the Alfa Romeo Giulia, but this time it's not the Quadrifoglio. Sammy, have you driven a base Giulia ever? Uh, the two liter turbo models? Yes, I think I have. Okay, so I I know I have <laughs> because that's basically what the Estrema is. It's the two liter turbo version of the Giulia, but it's been given like much of the same look as the Quadrifoglio and a few of the performance aspects, pretty much minus the drivetrain. So you don't get that crazy twin turbo 500 horsepower V6. You get the 280 horsepower two liter turbo, uh, but you kind of get the chance to look like you're cosplaying as the Giulia, uh, sorry, as the, as the quad, the Q4, whatever you want to call it. I'm normally not into this kind of thing. I don't yeah. really I don't really like the idea of cars that look fast but aren't fast, but for the Julia You know what though? This is such an like Stellantis thing to do. Don't you remember they used to have a a Jeep Grand Cherokee? It was called the Limited X and the four cylinder like an... Viper. <laughs> what four cylinder Viper? <laughs> No, don't you remember there used to be something called the Limited X, which looked yeah. like an SRT or a Trackhawk? I think they eventually just ended up calling it the X. Like, I think it's just like X, whatever. It, it looked, <laughs> it was the SRT, but like, yeah. But, yeah. So I really think the Julia is a pretty car. Uh, it's a four-door sedan in a world where there aren't many of those. But what's more interesting about it is it's a four-door sedan that doesn't try to look like an SUV. I, I think if you look at some of the German luxury contemporaries that Alfa Romeo is trying to compete against, you'll notice that sedans have gotten big and chunky. 
Yep. They, they're they're aggressive. They're burly. They look muscular. The Julia looks svelte and athletic in a way that none of its rivals really do. And I think it suits it really well. I think it's a very attractive car. And the quad is the best looking version of the Julia. So I like the idea of being able to access that styling without having to deal with a motor that I'm not a huge fan of because I find it's a little bit frenetic. You're crazy. That motor is wild. That's part of the personality of the car. Yeah, but it's a personality I'm not into. But I agree with you with the idea of giving of having the Julia. I think the Julia's best form is that is that quadrifolio model. So taking a piece of that and applying it to the standard model, assuming it's not too expensive, helps improve the visibility of this product altogether and makes because I think most people will get a, a, an Alpha instead of let's say a Mercedes a BMW an Audi a Lexus because it's different it's it and and making it look like the high performance model is part of that difference it's going to stand out more and I love that it's definitely different um the in addition to the looks you can get staggered wheels in the back if you want uh, you don't have to get them. You can also get sports seats if you want. You don't have to get them. You can get normal ones. It has a reconfigured uh, suspension system. It borrows the, the adaptive system that you can find in the Quadrifoglio, and it offers... You get three different drive modes, but you also have a button that specifically softens or tightens the... Stif- not tightens, but stiffens the suspension if you want. So that's a nice feature. And I'm trying to find in my notes, I'm pretty sure that it has a uh, limited slippery rent as well. That comes nice. with all of this. But I, for some reason, I don't have this written down. Okay, yeah, it is standard. Standard limited slip. Um, you can get all-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive. Mine was an all-wheel drive model. And it, other than that, though, it has all the wheels do kind of look like the quad as well. Very cool-looking wheels. I like the car. I like walking up to the car. I like walking away from the car. I like looking back over my shoulder at the car and kind of having like a wistful memory of the car. But driving the car... It is a exercise in frustration because as nicely as it drives, and it does drive quite well, uh, the transmission is fine. It's a lot better when it's set to dynamic mode and it's just a little bit quicker to respond. Throttle response is better. The power is decent. Uh, 280 horsepower is nothing to sneeze at. The car's not super heavy, so it drives quite well. But the experience itself is marred by the fact that Alfa Romeo cannot seem to get out of its own way when it comes to developing electronic systems that do not frustrate you every single time you slip behind the wheel. Okay. Now, the the joke is that Alpha can't make a reliable car, right? Yeah. I mean, this is... So, I mean, along those lines, I was supposed to drive this car a month before it arrived at my house, and it broke down, and I had to change the booking. So, this Ooh. is not an uncommon thing when it comes to Alpha Romeo. Unfortunately, quality is scattershot. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, in the case of this vehicle, the, the specific frustrations that bother me, and this might seem small, but I'll tell you why it's not. The, the first one is the Android Auto system. So you have to plug the you have to plug it in to get it. Okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. It doesn't bother me too much. But it was every six times out of ten, it would work. The other times, <laughs> it would just sit there saying like trying to connect the phone, trying to connect the phone. Uh, sometimes it would work like five minutes later, like I'm halfway to my destination and all of a sudden Android Auto takes over the infotainment system. It was unpredictable. I could not figure it out. And also, since there's not a lot of center console space for the Julia, there's a little notch where you can slide a phone uh, in the console just ahead of where you open it. And that's supposed to also charge the phone if it has wireless charging. Now, 99% of other cars, if you put anything there or even a phone, it doesn't matter what it is, but if it's a phone and it doesn't have wireless charging, nothing happens, right? Like nothing happens at all. Life continues 
the the beauty and miracle of, of the world is is uninterrupted. However, in the Julia, every like two to three minutes, you're rewind, reminded on the screen that there is a foreign object in the charger, the charge uh, area. And it takes over the screen in the sense that like, oh my God, it's like really? a bar that goes across the bottom and whatever's behind it disappears. <laughs> so oh my God. you know your phone is there. There's nothing wrong with it being there. There's nothing bad that's going to happen. I mean, I'm assuming in a normal car, it wouldn't be an issue. Maybe an Alpha, there's like a crazy heat thing that I don't know about. But that was annoying. Um, but the, the the other thing that I noticed was it has auto start stop, right? Which is like every single car on the market these days. But I had a particularly hot spit of weather when I was driving this car, like temperatures, 90 degrees, 95 degrees. So the air conditioning was on all the time. Mm-hmm. When I would get to a stoplight, the engine would shut off. The air conditioning would slow down a little bit, but it would keep going. That's pretty normal. Then when I would take my foot off the brake, the car would restart and the AC compressor would shut off. And then, mm-hmm. like, three to four seconds later, it would turn so, on again. That's so clumsy. Okay. <laughs> I've never hear, experienced that in any other car. So, the, so the, the AC works fine with the engine off. But once the engine's on, it seemed to have to go through some kind of reset procedure, which is an, an entirely exclusive to, to Alpha experience. Jeez. Okay. So, yeah, I agree with you that the, I've, I've, I've noticed that sometimes, like, air conditioning maybe gets weaker when automatic start stop kicks in and but not like not to that degree right yeah so you've got these two first of all it just makes me laugh so much about that android auto thing because i know somebody will be like oh maybe your cable is not right or something like that but you're you're probably using the same cable in every single car yeah i'm using the same cable in every car there's no but the alpha just needs the alpha cable of course And, and you know how I mentioned that these are not big deals, but they become big deals because it happens every single time you drive. Yeah, exactly. Up, and you become frustrated with your car because these are experiences that you don't have in other vehicles. You don't have to deal with this kind of crap, you know? And this is a car that costs $55,000 for the Estreva. Yeah. And that's like twenty grand cheaper than the um, – maybe even more 25,000 cheaper than the quadrifoglio. So you're saving a lot of money there, but it's like 10 grand or more than a base car. So, you know, I expect more, I expect it to work. I expect it to work every time. And that's the frustrating thing. I think like alpha, I just don't get it. Like, yeah. Why can't, why are they dropping the ball on something? These are very, this shouldn't be that very basic things. things. Yes. These are very, very basic things. You should be able to catch these in testing. Um, or you should be able to have a software patch that comes out and fixes them or whatever it is, or you should just ask someone at BMW how to do it (laughs) properly. (laughs) Maybe hire their guy. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's all I really want to say about the car. I mean, it's gorgeous and it drives reasonably well, but owning it is frustrating. And, and I also want to point out, I only spent a week with the car. Who knows what else I might have discovered if I'd had it for longer. Yeah, exactly. Um, I agree. It's absolutely just – and we used to have ones that were like this as well. I think we had one uh, – we had a, a quadrifolio that I think its car alarm would go off just like randomly, oh, right? Goodness. Oh, so uh, interesting thing. Okay. I had the car alarm in the Estrema go off a few times. It's because <laughs> the key – is shaped in such a way that if you moves in your pocket and you have another set of keys in there, 
it will rub up against it and go off. So it happened where I was like leaning into the trunk or something like that. And it just just went nuts. Yeah, it went nuts. And I couldn't figure out why. And what's also interesting about turning it off, you have to push the panic button again. You can't push lock or unlock. Like that does nothing. Like it it actually locks and unlocks the car, but the the alarm is still going off. Interesting. uh, Again, a little tiny quirk. That's not such a big deal. Like whatever. That's just an awkward fob design. But one one more brick in the wall. (laughs) Exactly. When they all add up and you're just constantly like living your life to satisfy your car. It's insane. Like, <laughs> it should be the other way around. But anyway, uh, if you have any stories of features in your own cars that are super annoying, that seem really small, but like over time, you've just kind of fed up with it. I would love to hear about it. I know Sammy is tangentially interested in that. Yeah, of course I am. So you can reach out to us in a bunch of different ways to get in touch. The easiest way is just go to the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, fill out the contact form we have there and click submit. And it goes right to the inbox of of myself, actually. Um, If you could... If you prefer social media, you can find Sammy on Twitter he, where he is at Sammy underscore hot. Is it like, still called Twitter? No, it's called X now. Uh, oh I didn't want to. I know. Uh, maybe don't use Twitter at all. <laughs> yeah. You can, let's, you let's can find me on Instagram that, so. <laughs> at Hunting <laughs> Benjamin or you can email me the old fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Um, do I have anything that I need to add to that? Just head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss next week's episode, which we'll be talking about some more cars, I think. Yeah. I also want to point out Spotify, uh, not Spotify, sorry, Stitcher Radio is closing down. So if you were a Stitcher customer as I am, you won't be able to use it past like the end of August. I think it's the 27th. So I think today is the cutoff for anyone who is paying customer. Um, and you still have like, we still have a month left to go. But we weren't like a premium service on Stitcher, so you can find everything we had there on any other podcatcher, like anything, Spotify, um, CastBox, Google, Apple, everything, Amazon, we're on all of these. So just move on over if you want to keep getting your fix and you were on Stitcher beforehand. Sammy, next week, I'm going to be talking about the BMW M2, uh, which I'm currently driving and I'm pretty excited by. And I'll be talking about the Ford Ranger. Uh, not Ranger, Maverick. Sorry. Are you sure? Maverick. Are you Maverick? sure? It's called the Maverick Tremor. So that's Sammy, what I'm driving. Are you sure you didn't just see the movie Maverick? <laughs> no, no. Is there a movie called Maverick? There's a movie called Maverick with uh, Tom Cruise in it, and there are no pickups in it. That's sad. Not a single So why pickup. did they name it the Maverick? Honestly, huge missed synergy p- p- yeah, possibility no, there. No. I just don't get it. Like, who was asleep at the Switch at either Paramount or Ford, I guess? I agree. They could have uh, you're gonna... a scene where, like, Maverick is driving his Maverick down the runway racing a jet. I mean, it would have been a very short scene. Like, like a millisecond. Short, yes. But it's still, you know. Modern. Yes. I'm driving the off-road version of the... Uh... Maverick, and uh, you're gonna want to hear that because it, it it's weird. <laughs> Maybe the joke's on me because there's not even a Maverick in Maverick, but I'm still talking about it. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you later. All right, bye bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>